We are in week four of a nine-week series this summer called Navigating Life. How do I know God's will? And we started out in our series by talking about two foundational principles, two very much bedrock principles that have to be in place if we are to know God's will for our lives. The first principle can be stated this way, that when we are making decisions, we need to do our best to ensure that what we are doing falls within the boundaries of God's revealed will, as we find it in in the New Testament scriptures and commands and principles of the New Testament. So we need to live within the boundaries of God's word. I like to hunt. And uh, there's probably nothing I enjoy doing more in the outdoors than hunting, but One of the things that I have found over the years is that I only enjoy hunting if I know I'm within the fences, that I'm within the property where I'm supposed to be. I could see all kinds of pheasants flying across the fence, but unless I have permission to be there, I don't want to be there. I I only find joy within the fences. And that's kind of the way it is with God, that if we really are serious about wanting to be in the center of God's will in our lives, we have to live within the boundaries, that that it's important for us to make sure that the decisions that we make fall within God's revealed will, as we find it in the commands and the principles in the New Testament scriptures. So that was bedrock foundational principle number one. The second principle that we talked about is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5. And that is the fact that every believer in Jesus Christ is commanded to be filled with the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. In other words, to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We know from Romans chapter 8 verse 9 and Ephesians 1 that every Christian, every person who's come to a point in their life where we've recognized that sin separates me from God and I can't fix that, but God loved me so much that he sent his one and only son Jesus Christ to die in my stead, in my place. And then upon dying on the cross for the sin of the world, three days later he rose from the grave. And at the moment... Any of us put our trust in Jesus Christ, believing that he is God who died for me and rose again. At that moment, we are a Christian, as the New Testament defines it, and the Spirit of God comes into that person's life, dwells there, and seals that person. That person belongs to God. And so, while every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within... Not every Christian all the time allows the Spirit of God to control them. And so the foundational principle, the second foundational principle that we laid out is in knowing God's will, in navigating life, 
is that each and every one of us as Christians are commanded to allow the Holy Spirit to control us. The Spirit of God has to be in control in order for us to be in God's will. Two foundational principles. And if both are in place, if we are walking within God's fences, if we're living our lives within the boundaries of God's word as we find it in the commands and the principles of the New Testament, and if we're allowing the Spirit of God to control us, Day in and day out, walking by the Spirit, moment by moment. We can rest assured that we are in God's will. If both of those foundational principles are in place, we are walking in God's will. But there still remains a question. And the question is this. But I still have to make decisions. How do I go about navigating life? I'm faced with all of these decisions. How do I know what to do? So starting last week, we began delving in, drilling a little bit deeper into this question of how do I navigate life with the understanding that the two most foundational things that we must do are live within God's boundaries and allow the Spirit of God to control us. So last week we talked about decision-making in marriage. Two separate people come together, are designed by God to be one indissoluble unit. How does that unit, husband and wife unit, make decisions? And we noted two principles there. Principle number one is that God designed marriage to be In oneness. And so all decisions that a couple makes should be made out of oneness and promote oneness. And as we just have said, both the husband and wife, if they're both believers in Jesus Christ, have the indwelling spirit of God within. So our primary goal in decision making within marriage is to do decisions out of oneness. That there's a unified decision that husband and wife come to. And so we made this comment. If a decision does not have to be made, it's imperative that the husband and wife are both unified in moving forward with that decision, or they shouldn't move forward. So if a decision does not have to be made, husband and wife should be unified in the decision or else they should not go forward with that decision. But what if a decision does have to be made and husband and wife are at an impasse? They just can't seem to come to agreement. Well, in obedience to God's word, as God designed marriage and has assigned the husband a awesome role, awesome meaning it's pretty... Uh, almost scary in a sense that the husband's the one that's accountable to God for the direction of that family. That the wife then is to yield to the husband's leadership in that home as he seeks from the God, from God wisdom and is loving his wife as Christ loved the church selflessly. So the big picture of last week was that decision making within the marriage unit needs to be done out of a sense of oneness and 
decisions that promote oneness. Well, today we move on to a new topic within this whole idea of how do we navigate life, knowing those two foundational principles of living within the fences and allowing the Spirit of God to be in control. Today, we want to talk about the importance of wise counsel when we're making decisions. The importance of seeking wise counsel. My second son graduated from Northwestern College in St. Paul, Minnesota several years ago. And upon graduation, he and some of his basketball buddies that were were on his team decided, we need to celebrate. We need to do an end of our college career trip. So they decided to go to the Boundary Waters together. Now my son had made several trips. One of the other guys had made a trip. But the rest of the guys going on this trip had never been to this national park area between Minnesota and Canada uh, that's a canoe-only area. So my son Ethan decided to do like we always do and start planning. And he put together some lists of things that are important in going to this wilderness area and tried to call together a meeting amongst all the guys going. But he found that no one was interested. In fact, one of the guys on the trip said, Ethan, I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up on a lake. I don't need to come to a meeting about the Boundary Waters. Later we found out him growing up on a lake meant that his mom and dad had a beautiful lake home. Well, they head out on their trip with no one being really interested at all in Ethan's list. And it got to be night number one. And it was time to go to sleep. And Ethan took my nice thermarest pad with him. Because when you're in the Boundary Waters, even though there are designated camping spots, there is no way to avoid a tree root, uh, a piece of rock that's embedded in the, in the, underneath the tent, uh, depressions in the ground. It just, it's impossible to find a purely flat space. And Ethan inflated his, self-inflated his thermorest and was getting ready to go to sleep, only to see that none of the other guys had any kind of a pad. Well, the complaints started coming. Well, how am I supposed to sleep? In fact, Ethan found if he ever got up in the night to go to the bathroom and come back, one of the guys would have jumped on his thermorest and he had to kick him off. No, man, I told you... We needed a plan. But see, they thought they knew all the answers. And one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is the need for all of us, as we navigate life, to seek wisdom through counsel. To look at that, I want us to turn this morning to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to spend about half of our time in the book of Proverbs. And then we're going to go to the book of Acts in the New Testament. And in looking at this whole subject of the importance of wise counsel, we're going to look at several 
Proverbs and the, in this collection of Proverbs. And what I want to do this morning is I'm just going to read them in quick succession and then we'll go back and make some comment about them. So I'm going to read these Proverbs in preparation for doing so, just as a quick reminder about this collection. One of my favorite professors that I had in graduate school at Dallas Theological Seminary was a man named Alan Ross. And Dr. Ross is no longer at Dallas Seminary, but still writes prolifically. And this is what Alan Ross wrote about Proverbs. This literature gives instructions for living while pondering the difficulties of life. And we can connect with that. The more life we live, the more we recognize, yep, there are difficulties in life. And so Ross says the whole purpose of this collection of Proverbs is that it gives instructions for living while... We ponder these difficulties of life. And then he continues on and says, The purpose of proverbial teaching is to inspire faith in the Lord. And so we're going to start looking at just a handful of these proverbs that specifically talk about the importance of seeking counsel. I'm going to read several in just quick succession. You can listen or turn quickly. Proverbs 1.5. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. 11. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 12.15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 15.22 Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 19, verses 20 and 21. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And finally, Proverb, Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. So we're just going to make a few comments, get some overall principles that we find in these Proverbs. The first thing I want to note is in both Proverbs 1.5 and Proverbs 11.14, the same Hebrew word is used, but it's translated with two different English words. In Proverbs 1.5, our word is found in the last half of the verse, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That same word occurs in Proverbs 11.14 when there is no guidance. It's the same word. The people fall. And so the word counsel and guidance are translations of the same exact Hebrew word. Why the translators in the New American Standard use two different English words there, I don't know. But the Hebrew word 
carries the idea of steering a ship. It's a nautical term. And in, in writing outside of the writing of the Old Testament, we find this concept of steering a ship connected with a very root idea of this Hebrew word. In another, in other words, we could say in Proverbs 1-5 that a man of understanding will acquire wise steerings. We, we all need help navigating life. And it's important for us to ascertain, to gain insight, to gain steering as we try to find a pathway through all the difficulties of life where that we uh, find. So we find here that in the Proverbs... One of the general assumptions is, yeah, it's wise. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a smart thing as we're navigating life to get steerings, counsel from other people. Now, that verse that we read in Proverbs 11 verse 14 is really aimed at a community. It says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. It's talking about a collection of people. Uh, maybe even a community need guidance and steerings. Otherwise, the whole community will fall. But there's also that concept in the Proverbs aimed at individuals. For example, in Proverbs 15, verse 22, it says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated. Literally, it could be translated, brought to nothing. But with many counselors... They succeed. So whether it's an individual trying to make a decision or a group of people trying to make a decision, steering from others is invaluable. The Proverbs also talk about those who don't want it, who reject it. In fact, it says in verse 15 of Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So the fool either says, I don't need to ask anybody for any advice. I can navigate this on my own. Or they hear advice from others and ignore it. No, the Proverbs collectively are saying the way of wisdom is to gain counsel from others. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9, it calls it sweet. 27.9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. I do want to remind us in Proverbs 19 verses 20 and 21 that while it's good to have a plan, it's good to seek counsel for a plan, ultimately God's plan is the one that's going to happen. Proverbs 19, 20 and 21. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. 
So if we look at these Proverbs collectively, we would say this, there is great wisdom in seeking wise counsel. When a couple come to one of the pastors at Faith Bible Church and say, hey, we want to get married here, we agree to do that with counsel. And every couple goes through some material that we use from Family Life, uh, Dennis Rainey's organization, called Preparing for Marriage. And one of my favorite sections in that material is a section called Parental Wisdom Interview or parent, uh, let me see what the, uh, parental wisdom questionnaire. And the young man and woman go to both sets of parents and sit down with this long questionnaire and start working it through with mom and dad. And there's questions on there like, what do you think is my parents are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do you, what pieces of wisdom do you want to give to us as we head into marriage together? And it just goes question after question after question, asking for moms and dads to give input, steerings to this young couple. We need the steering of advisors. Now, just a word about getting advice from parents. Don't despise parental wisdom. I remember when I first got married. You know, I, this is an, a responsibility that I'm taking on. And now I'm responsible for the well-being of our new family that has just come together. And we moved to Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas, two weeks after we were married, I think collectively between the two of us, we had $300. No jobs and no place to live. My wife literally cried every day of our honeymoon. We got back from our honeymoon and her mom says to her, are you having second thoughts? And Barbara said, no, it's just that we're moving away and we have 300 bucks and we have no place to live and we have no jobs. Well, I got a job right away, but Barbara had difficulty finding a position that lined up with the training that she had just received, and a job offer came to her, but outside of her area that she trained for. And she calls her dad and says to her dad, Dad, should I take this job? And he said, no, you should wait for a job in your area. And then she comes to me and said, I decided not to take the job. I said, why? Well, I talked to my dad and he said I shouldn't do it. Oh, are you kidding me here? Why did you call your dad? It's like, I'm supposed to be this new leader in this home. Why did you call your dad? You know, and, and that was so frustrating to me. But over the years, I've learned to balance that a little bit. That we really shouldn't despise parental wisdom. And so what I encourage young couples to do is... To take parental advice as if it is coming from a trusted, wise friend. You don't have to follow it anymore. You are, you've left father and mother and you're a a unit. But we don't despise it just because it comes from mom and dad. 
We take that counsel as if it is from a trusted, wise friend. But the principle is here in the Proverbs. It's imperative for us in navigating life to seek wise counsel. Remember the Proverbs say the person who doesn't is a fool. Either they're, they're right in their own eyes and they say, I don't need to hear from anybody in my decision-making process. Or they hear counsel and just shrug it off. I'm going to do what I want to do. Proverbs calls that person a fool. So it's imperative navigating life to seek wise counsel. And it's interesting as you look at those Proverbs, notice that the counselors are always listed in the plural, meaning... We're to get here multiple voices. We can, it's, there's strength, there's wisdom in getting, hearing counsel from multiple people. And I have found in my life, as I have navigated life and as we continue to navigate life, that collectively, oftentimes God uses multiple voices and we we glean a little bit here and we glean a little bit here and those multiple voices become so invaluable in helping us navigate life. But we still have a question. Yes, the Proverbs, the Scriptures say it's imperative to gain wise counsel. But from who? Where should I go for this counsel? What parameters should I follow to know if this is a good person to ask or not a good person to ask? How do I find the source of this wise counsel? And that's why I want us to turn over to the book of Acts and invite you to turn with me to Acts 27. And in Acts 27... I think we find two principles that help us answer the question, from where should I find this counsel? Two principles in Acts 27. Now as we come to Acts 27, we're coming toward the end of the Apostle Paul's life. He is headed to Rome to stand before Caesar in trial. We know as we look through the chapter that most likely Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is with Paul because throughout this section, the first person plural pronoun we is used. So most likely, we means that Luke was along with Paul, along with this guy named Aristarchus who was there to help Paul with his needs in the journey. So most likely, the Apostle Paul, Dr. Luke, the author of the book, human author of the book, and Aristarchus, Paul's personal attendant, are on this journey. And it tells us they are going underneath the the authority, the control of a centurion named Julius. We see that in verse 1 of Acts 27. Well, we find as we work down through the book that they get onto a ship. And they end up in verse 5. It says they sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We landed at Myra in Lycia. 
And then this, this guy named Julius from verse 1 finds an Alexandrian ship that's set for Italy and he puts all of the people aboard. It's not only Paul and Aristarchus and Luke, but other prisoners as well. Puts them aboard and they set sail for Italy. But verses 7 and 8 tell us that strong winds come up. And it really sets them behind in their schedule so bad that verse 9 says, When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. So, so much time has passed. They've lost so much time that it's really not safe to travel anymore. So Paul tells them in verse 10, Men... I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives and the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul is saying, guys, this is ridiculous. Let's not leave this port. Let's stay put. It's too late. We can't safely make this journey. Now, we know from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, that the Apostle Paul has a basis for that word of counsel. He has experience. So one of our principles in saying, in answering the question, where should I get counsel, is it's important that a good counselor gives advice based on past experience. Paul, it's recorded for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, has traveled extensively and has actually been shipwrecked three times. So here's Paul saying, listen, this is my not, this is not my first boat trip. I've actually gone through shipwreck three times and I'm still here to talk about it. We shouldn't be heading out on this journey. I've got experience here. I know what I'm talking about. We're leaving too late. It's most likely the end of September, first part in, into October. It's too late. We're all, you know, we're going to suffer on this trip if you guys move forward with this. But our guy Julius, verse 1, it tells us in verse 11, was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. So they take off. We come down to verse 15, excuse me, verse 14. And it says, but before very long, and they're rushed down from the land of violent wind called Eurekio, or we would call it a northeaster. And this wind is so violent, the crew fear for their lives. In fact, we see down in verse 17 that they take cables and they try to strap them around the boat to keep the boat from falling apart. Then we see down in verse 18 and verse 19 that they start jettisoning the cargo and they actually show, throw the ship's tackle overboard to do anything they can to lighten up the boat so that they won't be just tossed against the rocks and destroyed. They fear for their lives. And then we come to verse 21. I love verse 21. Here's the Apostle Paul. This is what he says. Men, 
You ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete. (laughs) Don't you love verse 21? I told you guys. I told you so. We shouldn't have left. Why didn't you listen to me? And you can just see Paul there. I told you guys. But then he says this. Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incur this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And in these verses, we find our second principle. Principle number one was a good counselor gives advice based on past experience. When my wife Barbara and I lived in North Dakota for seven and a half years, all of our boys were born in North Dakota. And upon their birth, we needed to choose a pediatrician. Well, we chose Dr. Welly down in Fargo, North Dakota. And one of the reasons why we chose Dr. Welly is Dr. Welly had eight kids. I'm thinking, that's a man who likes kids. I want a pediatrician who likes kids. This guy's got eight of them. I think he's got experience. I think he knows more than just book knowledge. I think he's lived it. He's got eight of them. And we loved him. So it's important when we're seeking counsel to find somebody who has working knowledge, to find somebody that has past experience. But for a Christian... When we're trying to navigate life, oftentimes expertise is not enough because we also need guidance, steering from someone who knows God's word. And here we find that second principle for us in verses 21 through 25 because the Apostle Paul here is able to give guidance based on God's word. In fact, for Paul, he had a direct message from God about his situation. We don't look for that today. We have a completed set of scriptures. But Paul heard a word through an angel of the Lord saying, everyone's going to be safe, but they've got to stick with the boat. A little later in this chapter, some of the crew decide to get into a little safety boat and go away from the boat. And Paul says, don't do it. You've got to stay on the boat. How was he able to talk with such confidence? Because he knew this word from the Lord. And so here we find a second principle as we are seeking counsel, as we're trying to navigate life. We know it's important. We know the way of wisdom is to find steerings from people who are wise, steerings from people who are worthy of our trust. 
But here we find not only is it good to seek counsel from a multitude of people, but we need to seek counsel from people who have past experience. They've lived life. And we need counsel from people who know God's word. Because as a Christian, our lens is very different from a non-Christian. You may be saying, okay, I need some counsel in working with my finances. And I want to make sure that we are set for retirement someday. You can go to someone with just expertise in finances. But a Christian views finances very differently than someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so to find someone who has knowledge, but also someone who is dedicated to the person of Jesus Christ, is the kind of counselor that we need to seek out as we navigate life. You see, we find here in the Proverbs and Acts that when navigating life, we need to seek wise counsel from godly people. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are here and and just don't want to leave today without just spending some time praying, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders will be back in our prayer room. You can go back and just spend some time in prayer today. Or if you are here and you're not sure if you're right with God or not, I would encourage you to step back there and we've got some material that you can just ask for about how to be in right relationship with God. And you can take some of that material, take out your own Bible and look up passages of scripture which give you assurance that you, how you can know for sure that you're right with God. Father, we thank you for these verses we've looked at today and for how they stress the importance in navigating life of gaining wise counsel from godly people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.